Welcome back to the program. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, I come before you, and I thank you that you are our Father. And I ask, Heavenly Father, that your Spirit within us would stir into flame that heart's cry of Abba, Father, that Jesus, you would reveal to us who the Father is, and that Heavenly Father, we approach you today and we ask that you would extend your fatherly care over our lives. You'd be a provident God who takes care of us and watches over us. I pray in a very special way for parents and grandparents whose kids or grandchildren have wandered far away from the Catholic faith, chosen to leave, run away, or have rejected the faith. Lord, please grant mercy, grant favor, intervene in their lives, Lord, so that they would be drawn back to faith. They'd be drawn back to a flourishing Catholic-Christian relationship with you, Jesus. And I pray for all parents of teens and young adults and young people who are discerning and trying to come to a wise understanding of what's at stake in this moment and how they are to parent in a way that's intentional, in a way that's deliberate, in a way that will help to protect, defend, guide, and nurture the Catholic faith of their kids. Lord, we we just want to love you well. We want to fulfill our call. We just want our kids to be able to enter into life in a way that they will live according to the depths of their truest identity found in you, that they would live in a way that honors you and that leads them to be happy, healthy, and holy. Ultimately, Lord, though, we desire our kids to be with you in heaven forever. That's our ultimate desire. And we long for our kids to to be able to sense that, know that, live that, and love that, and be willing to undertake sacrifices, even courageous sacrifices, to do your will. Lord, raise up a generation of courageous generous missionary disciples. Please, Jesus, we pray this in your holy name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, that for me was a very fatherly prayer. Um, And uh, I'm recording this actually on Sunday. Um, Sunday, uh, because Carrie and I, when you're listening to this, are going away for our anniversary, 27th anniversary on Thursday. Say a prayer for us. I'm very blessed to be married to Kerry. And so I'm recording um, a few programs. So today's program, tomorrow's, and Thursday's are all going to be pre recorded um, on Sunday, believe it or not. And so this is the first of three programs. This is just with me by myself. But I was so convicted by what happened at Mass this morning. I went to an 8.45 in the morning Mass at St. Joan of Arc. It's the traditional Latin Mass parish. You've heard me talk about that. And the point that I'm going to bring up and some of the points I'm going to bring up are... Um, are not like some kind of promotional materials <laughs> to say, um, you know, go to the traditional Latin Mass. That, that's not the goal, right? For me, what's the outcome? One way, like one snapshot or one profile or one facet of the outcome is to avoid this conversation happening to me again. Now, I know it's unrealistic, but here's the conversation. I'm at some event at some you know, I'm speaking or, or I happen to be at some church event and I have parents my age or a little bit older, maybe, uh, maybe a t- 10, 20 years older, coming to me and saying to me, I don't know what I did wrong or I don't know what to do. And they're saying this with like a- a- an anguish. Like they're saying it with a real suffering in their voice. I don't know what I did wrong, or I don't know what to do now, with anguish. And you know what that anguish is if you've heard me address this before, but I'm going to, again, slice through this theme in another way. It's, I raised my kids, along with my spouse, in an intentionally Catholic home. We were clearly Catholic, and we did so many things to provide our kids with a Catholic faith in their home and, oh, by the way, in their lives. And so principally that took the form of we were active in our parish, of course, taken for granted 
we took our kids to Mass every Sunday, but also we involved our kids in the life of the church, youth groups, being altar servers, uh, other church activities, right? So involved in your parish, got the kids involved in their parish. And then on top of that, there is the, and, and I sent my kids to Catholic schools. We sent our kids to Catholic schools and at great sacrifice. It's not, it's, it's, it's not inexpensive. It's expensive. It requires family sacrifices to send your kids to Catholic schools. And they'll say, not just four years, not just eight years, not even just 12 years, but after 12 years of Catholic schooling, send them off to Catholic colleges. And I don't have to prolong this any further because you know what's going to come out of my mouth next. The anguish that exists in the mouths of these parents or even grandparents is, and after all of that, after all of that, my kids come home from college or graduate college and they leave behind the practice of their Catholic faith. They no longer identify as Catholics, or if they do identify, it's with a very soft cultural form where they're not practicing their Catholic faith. And the idea that their Catholic faith would be the source of identity for their lives, be the driving sense of identity, purpose, and mission for their marriages, or give them a sense of how it is they imagine and pursue what is the ideal for their lives in their lives is essentially absent. It's essentially non-existent. And the pain and the anguish is now they're having a child and that child is not baptized. They're not taking their kids to church. They're not bringing their kids to any sort of sense of lively Catholic faith. What did I do wrong? And what do I need to do now? And so I'm going to approach this from the standpoint of something that St. John Paul II talks about in his teaching and writings. Now, a lot of this is actually in his philosophical essays, but also it, that lies underneath or at the foundation or the concepts and categories and principles also find their way into and are expressed by his theological teaching, both prior to becoming Pope and as Pope himself. The, the essential importance of culture, of culture. And, and so uh, I'm going to approach this question of that anguish that is in the hearts and the mouths on the faces of these parents and grandparents. And, and I said, if you remember at the beginning of the program, I don't want that to happen again. I don't want to be one of those parents. I don't want you to be one of those parents. And, and, and let me just say, if you're thinking, oh, that won't happen to me, then you're sounding like I did five years ago, <laughs> 10 years ago, 15, 20 years ago, where I naturally presupposed or concluded, wow, well, you weren't that intentional, you weren't that generous, you weren't that courageous, you weren't that convicting, you weren't that prayerful, you didn't do all those other things that I was doing. And if that's you, let me say to you, you are potentially at risk of underestimating the power of culture to undermine, diminish, and to overthrow the Catholic faith of your kids, the Catholic faith you're fostering in your home. Because the culture you foster in your home is not, is, is, it could be just like a bubble. If when the kids leave the home, they are not in situations where that kind of culture that you're fostering in the home is also found outside the home, in places like, oh, by the way, in your parish, or in the kids' friends, or in the kids' friends' families, where the kids are interacting, or the families that you are hanging around with. So the culture that you foster in your home is going to exist 
in a, in a layer out. So think of it as a bullseye with three, uh, three um, rings in the center, or two rings. And so at the center is that culture that you foster in your family. Then you go up outside that, and you have the culture that is fostered in your parish. Then outside of that, there's the culture that's fostered in the wider society, the wider society. And I, I, I'm going to say this statement, and it, I don't think it's that bold of a statement. Today, you parents who are raising kids, and I say by kids, I mean kids up until the age of college and even through college, right? Up to college or through college. You have the most difficult time in recent memory in the United States to raise your kids to be Catholic by the time they finish college. The presumption by a huge measure by a huge margin, by an overwhelming statistical percentage, is that by the time your kids graduate from college, growing up intentionally Catholic, in Catholic homes, going to all these Catholic educational institutions, the statistics are that your kids, by the time they finish college, will not be self-identifying or practicing their Catholic faith. That's what you're facing right now. And the enormity of the challenge is only growing. And even to say it's growing, I don't know, maybe not. It, maybe it's growing at a, a level of multiplication, maybe not exponentially, but maybe exponentially with the way things have happened in the last 10 years and then five years and then three years and then in the last year and a half, the enormity, the intensity, the, the pervasiveness, the insidiousness, the overt attacks against the Catholic faith that are coming at you from the culture and the diminished culture of faith in your parishes is going to leave you increasingly dependent upon or isolated in your own families. Wake up. This is not theory. This is reality. This is a reality that will mean for you, if the presumption is, if you want your kids to actually reach the end of college with a, verb, a, a, a vibrant, fervent, flourishing sense of Catholic identity and Catholic purpose for their minds and their lives and their hearts and their relationships and the choice of who they would, and their choice of vocation or their discernment of vocation and their choice of a spouse and how it is, where they would want to live, how it is they'd want to live, all of that, my brothers and sisters, is what's at stake in how you recognize and respond to what's happening now. The decisions we make today and tomorrow and the next day are going to be seeds sown into the hearts, minds, and lives of your kids, and they're going to bear fruit, and you're going to see that fruit once they reach the end of college. If your kids are too young, if you've got little kids, if your kids have not yet reached 7th grade, 8th grade, or especially high school, you're not going to understand from the inside. You're not going to understand from the inside the enormity of the challenge, the insidiousness of the forces that are coming against you, unless your job, unless your career has engaged you in the, in the immensity of the anti-gospel mentality of our time. And there are some who have. Some of you young parents are maybe uh, young enough to remember the insidiousness, the diabolically disorienting culture. That's Sister Lucy, the final visionary from Fatima. Sister Lucy referred to the final confrontation between Satan and the church was going to be over marriage and the family. And he talked about the, she talked about the diabolically disorienting way in which the devil would uh, sow into the culture these ways of seeing things, these ways of relating to things, and these ways of behaving that are completely antithetical to our Catholic faith, completely run against our Catholic faith. And so we do not have the luxury of living at a business-as-usual moment. We do not have the, um, the, the, the opportunity to just relax. Don't, don't, don't take things too seriously. You're okay. It's all good. That's not the moment we're living in. We're living in this Elijah moment that I've talked about where we can't straddle the issue any longer. We're living in a St. Joseph fleeing to Egypt moment. And I'll get into this more in a moment. 
Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. And I'm sharing with you today about, well, the importance of culture and culture that not only is happening in your family, but that also is happening in your parish. And that can happen in the society, the community in which you're living. Okay, that's the bullseye, remember? So you've, I mean, you've got, that's the target, right? And the target, the round target has a bullseye and then has two rings. And when I talk about culture, I'm talking about the unreflective atmosphere that contains and involves these unspoken but lived ideals and values. It's the value-laden atmosphere that is just expressed in an environment that everybody takes for granted and acknowledges by how they're living. Even if they are going against it, they're aware. They have this sensitivity that they're running against the culture, the unspoken assumptions of saying, this is just, this is how we are. This is what we do. This is just how we be. So I can remember the cutesy example when Carrie came to visit my family. Uh, this is kind of in the spirit of us uh, uh, reflecting on our, our married lives. Um, she came to our family and she came from a family that was very, very active. Let's go do stuff. And my Italian family was very conversational and conversational around a meal. And so I remember how um, she was there. It was the first time. It was a Sunday meal. The family was all together. And um, my mom had multi, multi-course meal and serve up one course at a time. First the appetizers and then the soup and then there's a salad and then there's the first course. And, and then uh, after that, the desserts are going to come out <laughs> slowly but surely. And this whole process happens over the course of a few hours. It's just our culture. It's just what we did. It was just the unspoken assumptions that, well, no, this is what Sunday dinner is and a Sunday afternoon was about. And we really never got up from the table because before you knew it, after we were in a couple of hours into the conversation, other family members started showing up, other Italians. And they would come and they would bring a dessert and they would bring some uh, grappa or they would bring some some wine and then they would sit at the table and then the table got bigger and chairs pulling up and then groups would break off and it was just, then it was story time and then there was some songs and <laughs> well, Carrie in the midst of all of this, just an hour into the meal, like we had barely, I think, even finished the main course of the meal. She's like, hey, what are we going to do now? Can we go play a game? Can we go do something? And I can remember everyone just sort of stopped talking because it was multiple conversations going at once. There wasn't one conversation, right? Multiple conversations going on at once, talking over each other, talking loud and, you know, interrupting. And Carrie's watching all this. She's like, hey, can we just go outside and play a game or something like that? And I can remember everybody just stopped and looked at her. And I got embarrassed. I was like, embarrassed because I'm like, um, well, we just are kind of getting settled in for, for, for the conversation. What do, you, what do you mean get up and go do something? And what that was was what? It was a clash of cultures, right? Even though Carrie grew up in a, in a home that was Italian, it was more sort of Irish, German, uh, like maybe, uh, I'm not, it, was, it was maybe a bit more chaotic differently, but it was definitely more, let's go do stuff, right? That's where they found their family get-togethers where we we'll go do things. Um, and so it was so interesting because it wasn't they're right, we're wrong, we're right, they're wrong, or she's wrong. It was just a different culture, right? There was an atmosphere that expressed different values in a specific way. And so when we talk about fostering a culture, that's what John Paul II is talking about. It's these unspoken attitudes that are expressive of a way of seeing life. This is what life is about. This, this, this is how we relate to our lives, and that shows up in how we're behaving and how we're acting. And so you want to foster a culture of faith in your home, right? And so what does that look like? Well, it looks like how you, you, you stretch your environment in your home, right? Like how you, you have statues of the Blessed Mother and pictures. Do you have a place for prayer? Uh, when do you do blessings? Do you have holy water fonts? Do you, uh, the kids have holy medals or scapulars? Do you, of course, go to Mass, but do you have family prayer at night? Do you play a family rosary? That's all that stuff that we talk about all the time on Sound Insight is fostering a, a culture of faith in the home, where that's just the unspoken thing that washes over them. It gets sewn into them. It comes to birth in them, and that's how they relate to their lives in the home. And that's a wonderful thing until they go outside the home, and now they're going to go to the parish, and they're going to go to the schools, 
right? So today I'm focusing on the parish. And I have expressed multiple times that taking my kids to the traditional Latin mass parish has been a huge blessing to us, a revival of faith, a recovery of faith, a restoration of faith, and a deepening of our Catholic faith. And I want to say that the principal reason is because of the culture that is there. Now remember, what's that word culture mean again? It means the unspoken spirit that, that pervades the atmosphere in the space, and then that atmosphere washes over, gets sewn into the hearts and minds and lives of those who enter into it. You come into an atmosphere, and all of a sudden it begins to wash over you. You begin to conform. You begin to see what's happening around you, how these other people around you are behaving, how they're relating, and that traces back to how they see things. And what I'm saying to you is, at this traditional Latin Mass parish, St. Joan of Arc in Post Falls, my kids' lives have been transformed because of the culture that's there as compared to, well, the impact of the culture at the typical diocesan parishes that we have attended for our entire lives up until two years ago. And we still go. We still go. But even now, I got to tell you, the difference between the two, just in terms of culture, the culture is so radical. It's, it's so significant that my convictions and what I'm sharing with you today is just that much more confirmed about answering that question, what can I do to raise kids in my home in a way that investing as we are in a parish in Catholic schooling, for many of you listening to that, and even into Catholic colleges, that my kids will come forth from that whole process such that they strive to live their Catholic faith as the center of their identity and the fulfillment of their mission, right? That they're going to practice their faith, not just go to church, but practice their faith and shape their whole lives around that, right? Shape their whole lives around that. And here's a, for instance, our kids know, our kids know like extremely clearly that the move that we made to Eastern Washington and Northern Idaho, this, this area, was not a career move. We did not move here because economically we would be better off. That was not why we moved. We didn't move because I had a job change. No, that's not why we moved. They know that we didn't move because we have family here. In fact, we moved away from family. We didn't move here because we had kids going to college here. That is not why we moved here. We didn't move here because, oh, we're more outdoorsy people, and we felt like in, in the Spokane Coeur corridor, we're going to have greater access to the things we enjoy doing as a family. That is not why we moved. The kids know we moved to this area because we, their mom and dad, have a call to be like Joseph and Mary, St. Joseph and our Blessed Mother, to flee to Egypt to save the baby Jesus from being slaughtered by the Herod that was going after our baby Jesuses. And so our kids knew that we were moving here for their spiritual well-being, to pull them out of a toxic environment that was destructive and corrosive and undermining their faith, and to plant them into a community, a societal context, that's the outer ring, and into a parish, that's the second ring, that would be expressive in greater conformity to what it was we were living in the center of the bullseye, our own families. We wanted the greatest congruence and correspondence possible between the life we were fostering in our homes with the life they would experience in the parish, the culture of that parish, right? It's not just going to the traditional Latin Mass. It's not just going to the traditional Latin Mass. It's going to a community that is present at that Mass that has the spirit and ideals that we do in our family so that our kids would see themselves all around them in the church. That's what we wanted. 
And then to be able to live in an environment, a community, towns and cities that was less corrosive, less, less invested in the diabolically disorienting beliefs that have taken up positions in laws and policies, in customs, in festivals, in outward expressions, on billboards, in businesses, in communities that are present all through the Puget Sound area, the east side, the west side, in the cities, uh, north and south, go from Everett to, to Olympia, go from Seattle to Bellevue, just that whole area. It's just the dominant culture is toxic to faith. I, I should just sit quietly and just say that. The dominant culture, what you should expect is that the community context that your kids are going to grow up in, just look at the signs that are up in neighborhoods, in your communities, at local gatherings, uh, the flags that are up around houses, signs that are present on the, on the lawns, uh, the community declarations that promote this or that, the things that you see on the billboards, the commercials that you have, the pressures that are found in the schools, in the businesses, in the jobs that are there are toxic to faith and are anti-Catholic. They run afoul of traditional Catholic and Christian morality. And that, just, that sounds way too soft. From the standpoint that I'm talking about today, and this is the standpoint I'm talking about today, from the standpoint of your desire to avoid the anguished cry of the parent who says, what did I do? What could I have done differently? What did I do wrong? Bringing up my kids in this neighborhood, in this community, sending them to these Catholic schools, going to this Catholic parish, and then the Catholic college, and now they're not practicing their Catholic faith anymore. And they're saying that, having raised their kids in the 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, maybe 2010s, right? And let's just say it this way. They were raising their kids, especially if we're talking about 30, 40, 50 years ago, they're raising their kids in environments that were much more um, from the outward standpoint congruent with a Christian way of living life, Christendom, that the Judeo-Christian morality was still present structurally in the atmosphere. So there were elements of the culture from a visible structural level that was in fact supportive of a Catholic Christian way of living your life in your home. So you didn't find such discrepancy between what you lived in your home and what you bumped into in your neighborhoods. So your kids could play in the yards. The kids could play with the neighbors. The neighbors would actually help support you raising your kids. You didn't have to worry about, see, uh, all the protections against the horrors that are present today and all the, the nastiness that's out there and then all the other down, downward spiral of the laws and policies of the state of Washington and then the wider country itself the horrors that have undermined the living of a full Catholic faith and a flourish as, as a means to flourishing, as a means of being faithful to our identity. And so, parents today, you have it so much harder. So, if you are fostering an intentional Catholic culture in your home with the spirit and ideals of how you're living, and you can find a Catholic parish that has the elements of a culture to help foster that, the likelihood that you're going to also find a wider community that is not significantly impacted by and expressive of a diabolically disorienting anti-Catholic culture is extraordinarily low. And so the the challenge to avoid that anguished look on your face, what do I do to save my kids from falling into horrific sin and away from the practice of their faith, that anguished like look on your face in raising kids today, it's extraordinarily more difficult, and it will require heroism in your parenting. Heroism. Because you will be called upon to undertake like courageous acts of standing up, speaking out, and pushing back against things that happen in your library, that are promoted in your community, that are happening at your schools, public schools, and yes, even your Catholic schools. Things that are said or not said, done or not done, in your own parishes. And you're going to do so in the name of attempting to find 
a degree of correspondence between the spirit and ideals that you raise up in your home and that you're fostering in your home and what their kids, your kids are experiencing among their friends, neighbors, classmates, fellow parishioners, fellow community members around you. And so the battle that you're facing, if you stay in a place like that, is going to require absolute heroism, courageous stances to push back and, and to do so, frankly, in a time where we Catholics and our Catholic leaders do a horrible job, just a horrible job at pushing back against those spirit and ideals in our culture that are invading, pervading, and intimidatingly presented the lives of our kids. Where do we see it? Frankly, we just don't almost at all see it. Courageous, convicted, consistent, persistent, out loud pushback against diabolically disorienting, toxic, corrosive evils that are washing over and being sown into the lives of our kids. That's that's what's at stake and that's what we're facing today. More in a minute. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. So, um, so okay, Gee, Tom, you're making this a really enjoyable program today. <laughs> oh, I, I, let me get to the let me get to sort of the good news. Let me get to the the positive side. So today, inside inside, what am I talking about? I led with that. Um, I led with the idea that says I want a certain outcome. I want an outcome for being a parent, and that outcome is I want my kids to love the Lord their God, rule their hearts, souls, minds, and strengths. I want them to. Um, see this life as an incredible gift from God, all of creation around them as beautiful, true, and good, but they live in a fallen world and they're going to have to battle against sin in themselves and their relationships and their families. And they have a God, they have a God given opportunity to experience the deepest happiness and joy in their lives by discovering their God given call, their heart's desire deep within them, and then to live that out courageously and heroically today in this moment. I want them to do that as Catholic Christian disciples of Jesus. That's what I want. I want their entire lives to be built around that. I want them to be the ones that God created them to be, right? And we can foster that in our homes. We can evangelize our kids, catechize our kids, create that environment in our homes. That's called the culture we foster in our homes. Today in Sun Inside, I'm talking about situations where so many parents have said to me over the 30 years I've been in ministry, what did I do wrong? What could I do? What do I need to do now? Because I tried to do that in my home, and I tried to do that by sending my kids to Catholic parishes, Catholic schools, and Catholic colleges, and they left the faith. They're not practicing their faith. They're, my grandchildren are not baptized. They're not practicing their faith. They're, they're living with their spouse. You know, they're... they're um, they're living with someone they're not married to, they're not married in the church, all of those different things. You don't want that for your kids. I know you don't want that. I want you to avoid that. But I'm telling you, the, the situation that they were facing when they were raising their kids is extraordinarily less complicated and easier their environment, the culture that they were living in, that wider community culture they were li- the the wider parish culture they were living in was more vibrant, and the wider community culture they're living in was more uh, accessible and acceptable to Christianity in a lot of ways. So, in that situation, so many of them have kids that have lost their faith. What's it going to take now? And the answer is not business as usual, but an extraordinary effort a sacrificially courageous, generous effort to say, I will do whatever I need to do as a parent to lead, provide, and protect my kids spiritually so that I can do whatever I can to set them up to be able to have a Catholic Christian way of seeing their lives and living their faith. That above all, even if it means extraordinary sacrifices, like uprooting my family and moving. Now, okay, that's what we did. Now, I want to give you what a parish can still do today. What a parish can do today to have that spirit, those ideals, that culture. I felt so convicted to share this because of what happened at Mass this morning. I'm recording this on, um, actually, it's just about Sunday noon. Um, I came home after the Mass, went to an 8.45 a.m. Mass, okay? And I'm just going to begin to unfold the elements of culture, okay? And please, this is I'm not doing this, first of all, 
like as a recruiting pitch. <laughs> I'm really not. Okay. Uh, Cause I know some folks have said, please stop talking about the Latin mass. No, what I'm talking about here is culture and the, the absolute importance of you finding a parish that has a culture that will correspond to the culture that you're building at home. By culture, again, it's the unspoken ideals, it's the spirit, it's the values, it's the way of seeing things, the way of relating to things, the way of behaving that manifests itself, oh, by the way, in people's behaviors. It manifests itself in how they carry themselves, how they're present, how they're behaving, right, in, in front of you, right? So I'm talking about that it is certainly clear that parishes have a culture, that unspoken spirit in the atmosphere. They do. Now, for some, it's more dense. It's more radiant. It's more obvious. It's more palpable. And the more palpable, the more dense, the more obvious, the more, the more uniform, in, in, the, in the good sense, and the more the fact that folks that are there have this common mindset, this common spirit, the stronger the culture will be, not only in the atmosphere that is present at mass, but also it's going to sink into and help develop that those very spirit and ideals in each of the families that are there. Okay, are you, are you tracking with me? So what you're attempting to do in your home, you need to have a parish community that will also foster that. So let me just share with you just a few things that showed up at Mass this morning that I just don't ever hear. I just don't ever hear. And so the first one I already mentioned, which was before the homily, the priest says, in order to come forward for Holy Communion, you must be a practicing Catholic, right? You must be a practicing Catholic and um, be without consciousness of awareness of an immortal sin. And if you're aware of that, do not come forward for communion until you've confessed your sin sacramentally to a priest. And how often do you hear that? How often do you hear that in a typical Catholic parish? And the answer is you don't. You don't. Now, the closest you'd get would be at weddings and funerals. Weddings and funerals, occasionally, and I want to say not even half the time, occasionally a priest will say, come forward for communion if you're a practicing Catholic. If not, cross your hands, come forward and receive a blessing. Or the other form that it takes occasionally is that there'll be some little notice, like maybe in a bulletin or maybe in a missal, uh, a missalette, like on the front page or the back page that says uh, communion is reserved to practicing Catholics who are in um, in the state of grace, something like that. But the idea that at every Mass, the announcement that is made before every homily is, come forward for Holy Communion, yes, if you're a Catholic in good standing and you're in the state of grace. If you're conscious of mortal sin, do not come forward, but instead go to receive sacramental absolution in confession. Now, what does that do? What does that wash over? It washes over people that are there. Coming forward to Holy Communion, it's important. No, I meant it's not important. It's sacred. It's holy. And it's not casual. It actually calls forth something from you. It call it a, co a correspondence. There's something that has to be happening in you in order for you to properly come forward in this act of receiving Holy Communion. Coming forward to receive Holy Communion is many things at St. Joan of Arc, but it is not casual. It is not left to be some minor occurrence in the course of the sacred liturgy. No, it gets called out. It gets drawn attention to, and there's a point of focus on it. In addition to that, just the mode of receiving Holy Communion. Come forward. Kneel. Kneel at the altar rail, the communion rail, and receive on the tongue. And there's a, there's a way in which that also says there is a meaningful 
expression of something that's happening here in this sacred exchange. That first of all, when you come forward to the communion rail, there's this greater sensitivity to the difference there is between the sanctuary and the, the greater body of the church, the nave, where the, um, where the assembly gathers. That we gather and we participate as witnesses in the act of Christ the high priest. It's a holy act of praise and thanksgiving to God that calls forth our own sharing in through the giving of our own lives as a sacrifice to join in the sacred paschal mystery, the passion and death and resurrection ascension of Jesus by his ordained ministers. This is a holy act where heaven breaks into earth and that the priests gathered in the sanctuary are vested to show the difference, to manifest the distance that exists between where we are on earth and the reality that has burst into this holy, sanctified, consecrated space. And that there's a crossing of the gap. There's a crossing of that distance that happens in the act of receiving Holy Communion, where literally the Lord Jesus Christ himself, the living glorified Lord, who has supernaturally burst onto the scene through the ritual that he has established at the Last Supper, and he continues through his spirit and the sacred ritual of the sacred liturgy, this holy sacrifice of the Mass, that he longs to commune with us and his ordained ministers come close to us and reach across the boundary between heaven and earth and place the sacred host upon our tongue because this act is many things, but it is not casual. This act is many things, and though there is a nourishing that occurs, it's not a typical meal. It's our holy exchange of being drawn into that sacred act, and so we receive Holy Communion. That does something to those who receive the Lord that way in communion. That fosters culture. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Current. Today I'm talking about culture and fostering culture at the parish level. Right? Remember now, think of this as like a, a bullseye that people shoot at, shoot a bow and arrow or a gun, right? And you have the center of the bullseye, and that's culture as it exists in your family. That's the heart of it all. Right? If you're not fostering culture in your home and your relationships at home, you are. Well, it's not a matter of whether you are, it's a matter of what culture is being formed, how dense it is. Like how, what density does it have? What, what kind of power does it have? What kind of radiation does it have? What kind of, um, what kind of like sort of unconscious adherence to it does it have among those who live in your home? Right? That spirit and ideals, that atmosphere, that value-laden, ideal, expressive culture in your home, in order to, to foster that, promote that, advance that, you go to a parish. And again, I'm not first of all saying that at the parish level, it's about going to the traditional Latin mass versus the Novus Ordo mass, the typical mass you'll get at a typical diocesan parish. I'm not saying that first of all. I am drawing attention to it right now. I'm principally drawing attention to the atmosphere, the culture that is in the environment, in the atmosphere at a mass, at a mass itself. And so in the, in the previous section, I was focused on just the act of receiving Holy Communion and some of the words and gestures that you see around you. What does that do? It fosters something in you. It fosters this awareness. This consciousness starts to get fostered in you that says, wait a minute, going to Holy Communion is important. It is, there's something at stake, and I better be corresponding with my life to what it is I'm being invited to receive. Okay, now this actually also shows up. This shows up in the atmosphere and the culture among the people who are there. Okay, I said I went to the 845 Mass. Well, not only did I go, but guess what? Hundreds of other people went as well. And I'm going to humbly say that at that Mass, at 845 in the morning, think of it. Think of the earliest Mass at your parish. That's not the earliest at ours, but the 845 Mass at your parish. How full is that Mass? How full is it? And the answer is, not very, okay? If you're, if you're 8.45 in the morning mass, 8.30 to 9, in that range, if that mass is full, send me a picture. I want to see it. 
Um, but th the typical parish, it's not very full. It's going to typically be, it's going to have mostly old, old folks. Well, that's actually typically the case now in almost every parish. And then you'll have a few families. You'll have some families, right? Okay, if you want to see what I mean by culture, just you have to come to the 845 Mass at St. Joan of Arc. You don't get it to experience it. You don't get it to experience it. And when it washes over you, you're like, oh my goodness, Tom, now I know what you're talking about, the culture that's there. Because first of all, and you've heard me say this, we go in two cars to, our, to the Mass. We go in two cars, not because we have to, but because one car has to get there 15 minutes early just so that we can get a seat. One car has to leave early, early enough, so that two things happen. Number one, we can actually get a seat that can fit our family because there's nine of us that are going to be there, and that takes up pretty much a whole pew, a whole one side of the, of the church pew, right? And the other reason is it's for the kids that are going to go to confession. We get the kids early enough there who are going to go to confession to get there, to get in line to go to confession before Mass. And so... That's just a, guess what that is now? It's just a culture. It's a traditional thing we do. It's a custom. It's not even thought about in the home. And, okay, let's take it a step further. No, oh, but we have to get there 15 minutes early. Why? Because if you get there at the beginning of Mass, the church is full. Hundreds of people, full. Not every other, per, not every other pew, full. Not taped off six feet distancing, full. Not just full, but full to overflowing, go up into the choir loft, go into the, um, go into the hall and watch the Mass because, what's the word? I won't say the word anymore. It's actually overflowing at the 845 in the morning Mass. And, the, the, the next thing that you'd notice is who's showing up. Because who's showing up is not typical. At a typical Mass, you'll get mostly older folks. And I say that as someone who's an old folk. <laughs> it's kind of funny I call myself that. But the great majority of people at the typical Mass I go to, at a typical Novus Ordo Mass, I'm on the young side. I'm on the younger side. I'm 56. And I'm on the younger side. What does that say about the radical devastation, the radical, complete annihilation, almost complete annihilation of the faith lives of the generation below me? Millennials, Gen Zers, Gen Xers, Gen Yers, whatever those generations are that are below the baby boomers, devastated. They've become cultural Catholics, not practicing their faith with any kind of regularity. They've become nuns uh, because they now self-identify with no religious affiliation or they've left the church to join a church that they find more vibrant or life-giving for them. That's not, that's not a, I'm not trying to make a judgment. I'm just like stating the fact. It's just real. What's rare are seeing young adults by themselves. Young adults, in, in, people in their 20s college age to 30, early 30s, by themselves. What is rare is seeing young families. F families. You might see a young family with a couple of kids or two or maybe three families with a handful of kids. But in the typical parish, typical Sunday Mass, especially at 8.30, unless they're going away for some kind of Sunday excursion, you're not going to find a lot of families. And you're really going to find it pretty rare to have a lot of big families. What's difficult about that? What's difficult is that if you're raising your family in faith, and you take that family, your family, to a parish like that, what are they going to kids? What are the kids going to absorb in the atmosphere? What are they going to absorb in the atmosphere? They're going to absorb, oh, going to Mass is for old folks. Going to Mass I don't see a lot of people that look like me. I don't see a lot of families that look like ours. So what we're doing is exceptional. What we're doing is, here are the kids that my, these are the words my kids used, extreme. Why are we extreme? Because what would happen is, 
we tempted to foster our culture in our home, right? That, that center of the bullseye. But then when we would go outside that to the second ring of the bullseye, that second ring is the parish, the third ring is the community, the culture and the community around us. The, in that second ring, they would, they would see and encounter the fact that, gee, there are only a handful of other families that look like ours at this mass. And a handful is being generous. And, and so they're mostly older folks that are here. And you know what? The spirit that washed over them, the culture that washed over them, I hesitate to say, but actually I shouldn't hesitate. It was casual. It was casual. And one of the, the ways that that showed up was in contrast around how people received Holy Communion. Around how they received Holy Communion. It was from an outward expression, a casual matter. Now again, let's be careful here because um, from the outward sign of things, you shouldn't be able to immediately conclude what's happening in the heart, right? We all know this, that Jesus condemned the Pharisees for being whitewashed tombs. Externally, man, they looked beautifully clean and pristine. They looked great, but inwardly dead, inwardly dead. And so obviously that's not what I'm talking about. And that's always a temptation. And comparatively, you can have people who are not looking like they're corresponding with this interior attitude of extraordinary receptivity and reverence for the act of receiving Holy Communion by how they appear on the outside. Yes, we can be ready for like a paradoxical outward expression to an inward spirit, right? That they may have come from work or they may have come from some situation where it was hard for they couldn't really get changed. It wasn't going to be easy for them to do that. And so from the outward standpoint, they looked like things were not put together. But inwardly, man, they were growing close to God, right? So we can be definitely aware of that. And so, so today, what am I doing? Today, I am beginning this reflection with you on what's it take for us to avoid the heart's cry and the anguish as parents whose kids have grown up in a Catholic home, gone to Catholic schools, Catholic parishes, even Catholic colleges, and have left the Catholic faith. That is what we want to avoid. And so I'm building up the solution. I'm building it up, not by focusing on what you do in your homes, because this is what I talk about all the time. I'm talking about the importance of the parish you're in to help foster and find correspondence, to find confirmation, find a sense of, of nurturing of that culture that you have in your home, in your parish. I'll build off of this tomorrow. So I hope you'll continue to join me in this program on Sound Insight. God bless.